So very welcome to the Imperial Healthcare Business Podcast. My name is Ivy Adedugwe and I'm your host for today. Today we'll be talking about oxygen capacity building and in the current times of the pandemic, it's become even more important. We've got a wonderful guest with us today. Her name is Sheila Bagana Moteri. She's a biomedical um, engineer by background and she works for Free O2 Foundation in Uganda. She has worked with several organizations with building oxygen capacity on the African continent. So very welcome, Sheila. Thank you, Ivy. We're very happy to have you as well. So tell us about your career path so far. Um, so I am a biomedical engineer and a pioneer of uh, biomedical engineering in Uganda. I, I started working in 2015, where at the time I worked at a regional referral hospital. And it so happened that that's the first time a regional referral hospital in Uganda was getting an oxygen plant. So I was tasked with uh, managing the plant, the maintenance, the operations, and ensuring that the plant can supply enough oxygen to supply the neighboring facilities, uh, covering over seven different districts. So this is where my interest with oxygen started. And there were a number of times when, for example, the plant was down or there was no power. And then I could, I could really see how this affected uh, patient work or patient care. And uh, there is a scenario when um, the plant was down and I had left, you know, I had done a ward round the day before and I had left a few children in the neonatal care. And the next morning when I came back, um, the children weren't there because uh, some of them had actually died and some had been referred uh, because of that um, cutoff in oxygen supply when there's no power. So this this is what motivated me into moving into oxygen and trying to find a solution and create um, a solution and improve the current technologies uh, such that um, people can continuously have access to oxygen wherever they live. Yeah, and that's truly amazing because, you know, as, as we all are experiencing around the world right now with a pandemic, there's been a, sh- a serious shortage and uh, a big demand, increase in the demand of oxygen supply. What would you say is the scale of the problem of oxygen scarcity on the African continent pre-COVID? Let's talk about pre-COVID first, and then we talk about during the pandemic. Um, so even, pre- even pre-COVID, oxygen has always been a challenge, but it's one of those uh, challenges that has previously been ignored. And uh, one of the... I can call it, I don't want to call it an advantage, but one of the things that has come out of COVID is that there's been a great highlight on the need for oxygen. So even like you'd go to health facilities and say, oh, like you need oxygen, but you know, people didn't realize that they need oxygen. People couldn't quantify uh, how much oxygen they needed. Clinicians were not even documenting when they give oxygen. So the oxygen challenge has been, it's, 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 it's really huge, um, even pre-COVID. Um, and oxygen, we can't talk about oxygen without talking about pulse oximetry, uh, where many health facilities still don't have a simple pulse oximeter, a simple device that can help you know if you need um, oxygen or if you need to take the patient off oxygen. So some of these simple devices are still lacking in many health facilities. 
in Africa and in many countries of the world. And uh, what COVID did is it just highlighted the, the great need uh, for, for governments, for hospitals, for individuals to really focus on building uh, strong, strong oxygen systems. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and I couldn't agree with you more. So let's use Uganda as a, as a case study, as you, have, as you have done in your practice. In an average you know, government hospital, how many cylinders do they, you know, were they using before your solution came into being? Okay, so for Uganda, I'm just going to give a background just so that we understand the context in which we are working. Um, when I started working in 2015, only one regional hospital had an oxygen plant. Later in 2017, the government made an effort and actually scaled up oxygen production by installing um, 15 PSA plants uh, of uh, 15 cubic meters in, in about 13 regional hospitals. I was going to say for our listeners, just explain what a PSA is, just a rough idea so they understand what that is. Okay. Um, so PSA is a pressure swing adsorption. So it's the principle on which uh, concentrators make oxygen. So ideally they separate maybe nitrogen from the rest of the air, leaving majority of oxygen using the principle of uh, pressure swing adsorption and using an adsorbent maybe like zeolite. So it's, the, it's, it's one of the commonest methods of uh, producing oxygen from air. Yeah. Yes. And so and this makes it and cheap. A, is that is that correct? Um I think cheap is than sort of factory made into cylinders. It's the same technology in the bigger plants. Yeah. Or and it's also the same technology that we have in our concentrators. So even these big plants, uh, for example, the oxygen plants that were installed in the regional repairs have the capacity to then uh, compress this into cylinders so that uh, this oxygen can then moved, be moved and transported to the other areas in the hospitals. I think that's, that's where Uganda was coming from, although there was still low use of pulse oximetry, um, the transportation system was still poor between the distribution system of oxygen from the regional referrals set to down to health center fours to health center threes. The skill gap was huge, um, especially in clinicians, are being able to one diagnose and give the right people who need oxygen the oxygen, take them off oxygen, the right dosaging, but also uh, technically operate a cylinder, uh, maintain a concentrator, and simple things like that. When COVID came, there was definitely an increased demand on that. So despite that the government had made this effort, it still wasn't enough. And COVID really pushed the demand very high. And the important thing uh, maybe that our technology does is that it's suited for pediatric oxygen. So what this does is that um, with our system, the children are sorted. So that means that all other cylinders, concentrators can then be freed to be used, for example, in the COVID area or wherever else oxygen is needed. So basically creating a local distribution point in the hospitals itself. Exactly. So our technology is called the OxyLink system. And it's a simple system based on uh, 
cylinders and concentrators. So what happens is that even when power goes off, uh, there will be an automatic switch from a concentrator to a cylinder. And this spares the number of cylinders that you use. And because cylinders, of course, are more expensive, harder to, to get, to obtain, and even difficult to use. And we do, we conduct, we have a low pressure piping to four patient beds. So that means that um, it reduces the cost, the significant cost of a copper piping. As you may know, uh, many facilities do not have copper piping or any form of piping. So that means that for whatever number of patients, they ideally need a cylinder or an independent source of oxygen for each of those patients, which is very, very expensive and not affordable. So with the low pressure piping from uh, one, one concentrator of 10 liters per minute, we can be able to ably uh, support four patients at the same time. And this system also has remote monitoring. So wherever we are, we can monitor the purity, monitor the pressures, such that in case of anything, uh, someone can quickly go in and do the repair and maintenance and ensure that there's no downtime whatsoever so that whenever a patient needs oxygen, it's always available. And that's amazing. So basically, you know, it sounds like you've gone from where people are relying on cylinder supply from an external facility to having a concentrator right at the at the healthcare facility itself and you have a mini system that can distribute to four patients all the time and you have facilities to also get some in cylinders to other parts of the hospital is that correct that's true yes yeah. that's true so you know it sounds like you've had some success with you know increasing capacity across uganda you know, have the incumbent companies, you know, such as BOC, have they, you know, what was their reaction to, you know, the Ugandan government's priority to get oxygen into the hospitals with your program? Um, I think with oxygen, the demand is really, really too big and the market is really, really wide. And the need is also really, really great because even with the current um, oxygen plants in the country, even with the current suppliers of oxygen, other private suppliers, even with systems like ours, they still a great need for oxygen. You still have facilities which up to today do not have an oxygen concentrator, do not have a cylinder. So the need is really, really great. And I think right now, during COVID, there was uh, a lot of uh, different organizations that deal in the, ox in the oxygen space coming together. Um, for example, we had Roofings Uganda Limited, which is an industrial company, but was uh, freely supplying medical oxygen to hospitals just so that to enable hospitals be able to meet the demand, the really high demand. So that demand has been too high. Mm. And I, yeah, the demand has been too high yeah. and we are still trying to meet the demand. Yeah. And in terms of regulations, Tell us some of the regulations that surround oxygen supply and delivery um, in Uganda. Um, so that's a very interesting question. Of course, uh, oxygen is, is listed on the WHO essential medicines list. Even in Uganda, we have it listed as an essential medicine. But for some reason, people have not really recognized and appreciated oxygen as a drug. Um, I know that... Uh, 
there could be cases where we are using industrial oxygen instead of medical oxygen. And even the capacity for even to have uh, even basic even to have basic tools like oxygen analyzers in facilities, those have just recently started coming in and people having the knowledge that even when I have oxygen coming, whether it's from a cylinder or from a concentrator, I can be able to measure the purity and actually know if what I'm giving to the patient is real. But on the, on the regulatory standpoint, it's, uh, it's regulated by the National Drug Authority, but it's, I think they still like they still a gap in that they still a gap in that area. In I think a knowledge gap. But on the research side, um, there is the Uganda National Council of Science and Technology, which is which closely monitors all the research or anything we put out that's research oriented and. Uh, regulated by local research and ethics committees. So if it's an innovation in the oxygen space, it has to go through those two approvals before being used, say, in a hospital. Yeah, no, thank you for that. I mean, one of the reasons I asked that is, you know, in the current climate where you have family members going to get cylinders and, you know, you worry about the storage of the cylinders. And, you know, when you hear about fires happening, you also worry about, you know, the safety of the people who are trying to, trying to transport the oxygen themselves. So, you know, this is obviously where the regulations and the, reg, you know, the international regulations are with the supply and the delivery of oxygen. So that was the sort of thought process behind that question. So tell us about some of the challenges that you faced with trying to build oxygen plants at various healthcare facilities. Um, I think the challenges have mainly been, especially during this COVID time, have mainly been um, in the supply, procurement and supply system, trying to get trying to get spares and everything, shipping them, the shipping time has greatly increased. I think that has been the major challenge. But in regards to actually reaching out to the hospitals, um, I think it, it's mainly been us, uh, there's been a need for us to invest uh, in training. People don't know how to maintain the device. In. It's, it's almost, uh, it's not going to do what you intended to do. So there's been a great need and push for us to, to extensively train in hypoxemia and hypoxemia diagnosis and use of pulse oximetry before bringing in our oxygen systems, just so that um, People have the knowledge, people have the skills. Yeah, and for our listeners, so hypoxemia basically means low oxygen levels in a patient. Um, and so, like you said, it's making sure that the staff are actually going to deliver the oxygen to patients, know what to look out for in a patient, you know, in terms of indications and to be able to recognize complications as well. Um, so, you know, it sounds like there's the training challenge, there's the equipment challenge in itself and getting parts, like you said, and there's the maintenance problem as well. So once you have instituted this plant, what happens thereafter? Do you, is, your, is your organization responsible for maintaining those plants or do you train people locally to make sure that they can maintain it and ensure the longevity of, of the plant? Yes, 
Yes, Ivy. So what we are trying to do is uh, kickstart a social enterprise model whereby we'll have local engineers like myself, and then we train these engineers and they actually manage the different systems we have in different hospitals. So they're able to maintain inventory, they're able to know uh, when the system needs repair and maintenance, and they're actually able to do the repair and maintenance themselves. So it's that uh, building local capacity. Uh, we are really, really big on that, such that these systems can be sustainably managed in the long run. Yeah. And we're also planning to do a local assembly and a lot of tech transfer such that we can do some of this work locally and also build capacity locally in most of these. Okay. You know, if I, if I was the medical director who wants to have an oxygen plant at my hospital, you know, how much should I budget for? And how long will it roughly take to implement? Um, thanks, Abby. So what we are actually trying to do is uh, create, a, create a model that's, that's uh, affordable for these facilities. So as I mentioned earlier, we are focusing on the lower facilities. So from Health Center 4, maybe Health Center 4s, Health Center 3s, and General Hospitals. And the lower you go down, the lower the budget um, of these facilities. And yet this is where the greatest need is, especially with children suffering from pneumonia. So what we are actually trying to find out, we are rolling out 20 systems. And what we, what we actually want to find out is, would it be possible for, for us to find an actual value for a unit per liter of oxygen? So putting in, putting into consideration all the maintenance, all the training, all the spares, all the installation, what would a unit of oxygen be uh, cost for these facilities and how can we make it affordable to actually own and be part of uh, something like this? Okay, so I'm gonna push you a little bit on that question again. <laughs> so mm -hmm. say all I had was $10,000, American dollars, would that help? Will that help me to get an oxygen concentrator and a, and a kind of plant going at a hospital? Yes, that would help a number of facilities. So what we are trying to do is um, split the cost. So facilities do not have to incur the capital costs of the equipment. We incur the capital costs of the equipment and all they pay for is uh, the operational costs, so the maintenance costs, which is significantly subsidized. So yes, $10,000 would go a long way in supporting, I think about on average five facilities with a system. I'll tell you why I'm asking yeah. this question because possibly there are some of our listeners who want to contribute mm. towards the solution of this problem. And from a charitable angle, they might want to donate. So they might want to know if I donated, <clears throat> say $500, $1,000, $10,000, will that help one facility or will that help two mm. facilities mm. so it's just a rough mm. idea so you know you said that would support five possibly five facilities of mm. you know quite medium size <clears throat> so then the question is is that just the cost of installation or is that the cost of installation and maybe three months perhaps just a rough idea be, okay so a rough idea would be probably supporting a facility for a year that's and that's quite impressive actually that you've managed to get that kind of cost down so low that you can support five facilities 
for a whole year and they wouldn't run out of oxygen. You know, so if, if there are any listeners out there who have deep pockets and really want to contribute towards a solution of oxygen scarcity around the world, and in particular, you know, in this, in, in, on the African continent, this is what your money can buy you. And this is what it can do to affect many communities. So, you know, your business model, you said, is that you incur, incur the capital expenditure cost of the initial bit, and then the facilities just pay a sustenance fee for maintenance and for sort of consumables, I'm going to say. I'm going to then have to ask, is the government subsidizing you for that capital expenditure? Or how do you cover that cost? No, um, so that cost would be covered through different partners with support from different partners, different organizations through grants and, and funding from different partners and organizations. Okay, and that's where the real expense is, isn't it? <laughs> All right, so I'm going to move on to the next question in that, have you expanded outside of Uganda? And if so, what countries have you gone into? So yes, we've extended outside Uganda. We're currently in Kenya, uh, Tanzania, piloting in Nigeria, and in Solomon Islands. I think we're extending to Solomon Islands as well. That's quite impressive. And if you don't mind me asking, why those countries? Did they reach out to you? Or was were these countries that you just found you had aligned goals and, and vision? Um, I think most of these countries, it's been... We've had uh, like a relationship or a contact person in some of these countries or a contact partner who then invites you to, to the country. And it's usually someone who's working in that area or who's, who's passionate about seeing oxygen extended to some facilities within that given country. So that's how most of our partnerships have grown okay. into these other countries from seeing what we have done here in Uganda and then saying, okay, I think I want something like this in my country as well. So it's been built on different partnerships and relationships. Okay. And, you know, that's quite impressive, actually. So basically, if there are any countries out there or any facilities out there who would like the service of free oxygen um, organization, they can always reach out to, you know, to yourself or to the organization directly. And roughly how long would you typically expect for it to take, you know, from consultation to actual impl implementation of the project? You know, would it be three months, six months, just a rough idea? Um, I think it depends. I think it depends on a number of, uh, I think it depends on a number of issues and different stages that we are at. Um, for example, uh, when we started in Uganda, we started in, uh, in about 2016, and that time was still in the development stage, then we went to the testing phase, and now we've moved on to scale. Uh, in Kenya, it's also taken, so every country has been unique in its own way. So, All right, so it sounds like in a ballpark figure, I prepare for about a year or so, at least. <laughs> well, although now we've 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 built um, we've built a lot of expertise and experience, um, also in you know building these systems, deploying these systems. So even that time is, is starting to reduce uh, for different countries. Yeah, and I, and I couldn't agree with you more. I guess you know the more you 
do something, the more you acquire knowledge and capabilities of being able to do it with ease because um, you just have that expertise building up, isn't it? So what advice, as a final question, what advice would you have for any healthcare facility who want to get in touch to do this? How can they prepare themselves so that the project is as seamless as possible and as quickly as possible? Um, I think it's uh, it's just the willingness. Once uh, they are willing, I think that's the main thing. It's having a team or a group of people who are really willing and committed to make it work. Uh, we're always willing to work be and move things beyond, you know, beyond limits, beyond different times. So I think that would be one, just passion and that's still to have things work and then just a clear understanding of the the facility and the system in which it's best so maybe we'll do an assessment of the facility it's it's real needs like the number of patients it sees the number of people who come in hypoxemic the clinical skills needed for the staff so just a, a basic assessment of the facility so that we can have a real understanding of the facilities need and tailor something that's specific for that facility. Yeah, and thank you so much for that. Um, you have illuminated our minds um, with how well um, your system is working and the possibilities that exist um, to actually make this you know, oxygen scarcity a, a thing of the past. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. Um, very much appreciate. Welcome, Ivy.